Hi, I'm Lucy Adams from Disruptive HR. Welcome to one of our podcast series where you'll hear from HR practitioners who are genuinely doing things differently. If you're looking to change your HR practices, then why not check out the Disruptive HR Club? It's got tons of videos, webinars and downloadable guides that will give you all the ideas and practical help you'll need. Check it out at www.disruptivehr.club. Hi, and welcome to uh, another in the Disruptive HR podcast series, where we talk to HR practitioners or people around the HR profession who are doing things differently and leading differently. And I think we've got a bit of a coup, actually, to have got Tanuj on today's show. So uh, welcome, Tanuj. Really, really great to meet you. Full name and title, Tanuj Kapitrami. You're the group head of HR at Standard Chartered Bank. Super. Thank you very much, Lucy. Great to be here. Lovely to have you with us. It really is, because I'm a massive fan of the work you've been doing at Standard Chartered. Uh, Your name comes up, your organisation comes up, the HR team comes up a lot when we're looking for innovative case studies, looking and thinking and doing things in different ways. So it's a real pleasure um, to have you uh, with us. Can you just give me like a real potted history, thumbnail sketch of your background and kind of your role at Standard Chartered. Thank you. I, uh, as you said, uh, the head of uh, human resources for the bank, Standard Charts, uh, Emerging Up Markets Bank. Uh, We are headquartered in London, but across 59 markets in Asia, Africa, and uh, the Middle East. Um, Employ 100,000 colleagues at any point in time and offer the full range of Uh, banking services uh, to our customers. So that's a bit about uh, Standard Chartered. I have been with the bank five years, coming to five years now, 18 years uh, before that in another large global financial services institution. Um, I, uh, large part of my career has been in HR. Uh, Although I started working in in group strategy and working on sort of sales effectiveness. So a, a lot of my Passion is around uh, productivity, uh, frontline uh, uh, effectiveness, and, uh, and and you know how do you access? How do you give access to opportunities uh, and democratize access uh, to, to staff? That's sort of been a big theme of the work that I've done uh, in my uh, twenty plus years in HR. I have. Uh, lived and worked across many of our footprint markets. So I did 10 years in Asia, Hong Kong, Singapore, India. Um, uh, I also did a couple of years living and working in the Middle East. Uh, So I've sort of uh, traveled between markets and uh, have worked across most big HR disciplines. So I've done the usual uh, headed learning and development, did years in Compton Band, but uh, also worked as a, a business partner at different levels. So line of business, country, region. So, so that's been my background. Fantastic. Thank you. That's. Um, do you like, you must like working with bankers then? Is that, is that, do you, do you enjoy it? Is, or is it just a, a continual challenge? What's the, what's the, the, the driver for, for the banking and financial services sector? interesting you know it comes down to purpose and I, I I do believe that a large part of the work that I have done in my career is 
how do you leverage the power of institutions to tackle and solve some of the biggest issues that the society and the world is facing? And uh, I know much is written about bankers and banking in the West, but, but actually, if you look at some of the markets that we are in or the markets that I've worked in, banking plays a really, really crucial role. And coming out of COVID, that role has become even more important. So, yeah. you know, how do you reset globalization in a way that feels far more inclusive to the world? You know, how do you bridge the gap between haves and have-nots? There's still a large part of the world that are not part of any formal financial systems. And I think big, large global banks like us have a huge role to play in, in bridging that gap, in, in addressing the sort of inequalities in the system. And, you know, a lot of people in the West think of banking uh, as, as the sort of big investment bankers and big traders, but banking is obviously much, much more than that. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's fulfilling hopes, dreams, and aspirations of first-time entrepreneurs, of people who buy their first home, uh, you know, if people who decide to buy their first car in Africa as people get into the financial system. So there is, you know, the role financial institutions play in, in some of the fastest growing economies in the world is an area of huge passion for me. You know, it's really interesting. I don't know if you've heard, the. there's a fantastic podcast um, of, with the BBC World Service. It's actually quite traumatic in terms of it's called the missing crypto queen and it's about this huge fraud about you know something called one coin and this kind of cryptocurrency that actually wasn't a cryptocurrency but the one of the reasons that she was so successful was that she talked a lot of sense about the unbanked the people in the world who are unbanked and um and i think you know that that as you're right we don't always associate banking with that kind of sense of purpose and a broader piece around improving the human condition. So I, I, it's fascinating. And I know that Standard Chartered has always been in that space in, in, in ways that perhaps some other banks haven't. Now, when we when we had a kind of briefing call, it's a little while ago now, but we, we had a briefing call and I was kind of getting all excited about, oh, we could talk to you about this, we could talk about that. And you quite rightly kind of went, you know, no, let's be a little bit more strategic here. And let's focus on how does HR create a culture of innovation and performance? And so rather than kind of looking at detailed specific initiatives, taking a kind of a step back and saying, what is HR's role in innovation? And how do you achieve that? How do you create that? Is that something you could just kind of, again, we don't have long, it's, it's, you know, we could talk for hours, but, but in the limited time we have, what are the kind of key things that, that drive you to when you're thinking about innovation, when you're thinking about a culture of performance and the role that HR plays? Yeah, and again, uh, if I come back to some of the work we've been doing in, uh, uh, in the bank, a lot of it is, to deliver on our purpose. Tanchart's a really purpose-led business. 160 years of history, our legacy, like I said, in some of the most challenging, but also some of the most exciting world uh, places uh, on, on this planet. And, and, and a huge part of, of the DNA of the bank is this deep sense of, of purpose. What we have been doing is been on our journey to create uh, the bank for the future, to meet the evolving needs of clients, which have been accelerated because of COVID. So this rapid yeah. move towards digitization, uh, you, you know, the, the, the fact that the world is becoming much smaller in some ways, uh, you know, th there's a value to the network. We are at both ends of the trade flows. And 
how do we leverage that unique network, unique footprint, 160 years of relationships in these markets to actually rewire the DNA in banking? And a huge part of the business strategy has been in service of rewiring the DNA uh, in banking and thinking about banking for the future. And that platforms partnership, looking at digital at scale, uh, you know, looking at the bank as an ecosystem yeah. and you know, how, how do we actually become an ecosystem that brings together uh, various players to be able to deliver needs, evolving needs of our clients. Within all of that, we said that our cultural aspiration is to become uh, innovative and an inclusive organization. Why innovative and inclusive? Because we did a huge amount of research and we found that the inclusion index, which we measure twice a year via our surveys, is directly related to an innovation index. What we found was that teams in the organization that have a strong culture of inclusion are also the teams that produce the most ideas, most innovative ideas that go into proof of concept stage. So this idea of when we want to describe our culture, we describe it as being an innovative and an inclusive culture underpinned very strongly by conduct and sustainability. You know, we were not a flash in the pan. This idea of sustainability and building for the long term is, is, is a huge part of cultural aspirations as well. And in some ways, this theme around innovation and inclusion has actually framed the entire people's strategy in the bank and continues to frame the entire people's strategy in the bank. How do we become a more innovative and a more inclusive business? And the four pillars of people's strategy are around these two agenda. Several things we've done, and I, I say this to you, Lucy, I mean, you speak to academicians, you speak to experts uh, in the field. What I am is a practitioner. So what yeah. I try and do in this conversation is to bring it to life to say, all oh, that sounds really good yeah, in a book. But what do I do? What do so I do? What do, yeah. do, what do you really do about it? And again, in, in terms of sort of innovation inclusion, we have dialed up and we could talk about diversity and inclusion in a big way. But to me, representational diversity is a necessary but not a sufficient condition. You know, inclusion is much, much broader than representational diversity. And the, the work that we have done around inclusion, which has come down to even how do we make the choice around technology we may use an inclusive choice? So even thinking of when we pull together teams who are deciding on the technology that we choose or the partners that we partner with, do we have a thread of inclusion running in that very strongly? So this really dialing up inclusion in its broadest sense has been yeah. a big part of the strategy. And the other part of the strategy has been thinking about innovation and not just innovation with an I, but also the, the big I, but also innovation with a small I. And I think both of them are hugely important. So we came up with SC Ventures uh, as a business strategy. SC Ventures is a part of the bank, which is a, a platform as well as a catalyst for us to explore alternate business models. So, you know, new client groups, new revenue streams, new products. And in some ways, partnering with SC Ventures in building that the strong culture of innovation became a, a, a really good sort of starting point for us. So, uh, you know, at, at, at one end of the spectrum, it's about the kind of people who we bring into these ventures. Uh, but equally, it's going through the entire HR process universe and re reviewing 
every HR policy and asking ourselves the question of is it helping move the innovation agenda forward? So, you know, traditional recruiting policies, you know, do they really help us become an innovative and an inclusive business? You know, how do we change it? And how do we challenge ourselves uh, to look at the entire HR process universe? You know, performance management, we are going through a big overhaul of our performance management system. And we found that performance management system in traditional banks actually lead to short-term incrementalism. You know, you've got an annual scorecard, you're trying to solve to the targets. Yeah. People lowball targets, you get slightly more. There's a formulate linkage of your performance ratings to bonus. And by going through the process universe, every process in the process universe and challenging ourselves on, is it helping us build a culture of inclusion and innovation underpinned by conduct and sustainability, we've made some, I believe, some very bold choices. Uh, you know, so, so we've taken a decision, we're going to get rid of our performance rating scales completely, right. introduce the idea of aspirational goals in our scorecard. You know, yes, five things you do, but if you don't have a few things in your scorecard, which you can never achieve in a year, we are not really becoming an aspirational business. When it came to recruiting, we introduced a values based assessment tool for all our hiring. You know, I looked at the numbers. We've had 55,000 candidates who have been through uh, a, a situational judgment hiring tool, which actually tests their ability to be able to take risk-based innovative decisions. Can they really innovate with and for clients? And if they can't, we screen out the candidates as very early enough in, in the process. And I think from when, I remember when we when we talked about some of this idea of just going back to basics and having a look at some of these basic processes. And I think you said, you know, this is something that you get involved in as well. You know, it isn't something you just give to the employee relations team or you are sitting there as well because it's so important. I mean, I think, Lucy, cultural transformations, whatever the culture that you want to transform to, in our case, it's around innovation and inclusion. Uh, you know, it is about role modeling. It's about the strategy. It's about the rhetoric. But ultimately, it's also about fixing the plumbing. And I, and I believe that very, very strongly. I believe some of the biggest cultural transformations fail because while the rhetoric and the narrative is very mm. strong, the, the, the tough work never gets done, which is actually in our case, going through the entire HR process universe and looking at each of the HR processes and are they in service of us becoming yeah. an innovative and inclusive business strongly yeah. underpinned by conduct and sustainability. And something that, that we kind of advise clients to do is to kind of think about how you want people to feel. And in your case, it's about, you know, bold and also a sense of belonging. And, and if you focus on that emotion... And then look at what you're doing to people and what emotions do they create. Very often you get this stark realization that you're not helping people to feel bold or belong, that they belong, that actually it's quite the opposite, you know. And um, and and I think it is, it is that, as you say, it's, you know, take care of the plumbing, you know, look at the basic plumbing. Now, linked to that is this idea that we we've talked about before, is this idea of you know, how do HR get their heads around the fact that they have so many things that they could be doing? And, you know, you could, as you called it, you know, the HR universe, the process universe, there's so many things that you could do. But actually thinking about HR as kind of product managers, product designers, product leads, and getting them to use some of that thinking. And I think that's something that you've done quite a lot at, a, a, a lot with in, in Standard Chartered, haven't you? You've actually got the HR with this concept of product managers, product designers, product leads. Can you, again, can you share a little bit about that? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the highlights of my day today has been our Employee Experience Council, which I co-chair with our CIO. And we've got a cross-section of uh, business and functional leaders, very senior business and functional leaders who sit on this council. And we, we look at end-to-end -end employee experience. Why do we do that? Because I, I genuinely believe that ultimately we are competing on uh, experience. Uh, and I believe HR are product managers. The product we design and sell is employment. And unless you get that design thinking from a customer lens into everything you do, who's the customer, what do they want to buy, why do they want to buy this, what are they saying, the constant feedback, unless you get that EX mindset into uh, designing and delivering solutions, I actually think it's a race to the bottom because <laughs> frankly, you know, the, the experience is, is I think the, the biggest currency that, that, you know, we are and should be competing on. And actually, to be honest, it even goes a step in. I, one of the big conversations I have with my team is uh, who's our client, right? You know, ultimately the client is the client of the bank, but it's also the 86,000 colleagues who serve the clients of the bank every day. And I think, prioritization starts off with reframing what is the HR function? Who is the HR function in service of? You know, is the HR function in service of being a white glove concierge service to your top thousand, top 2000 leaders in the company? Or it's in service of your frontline who are serving customers, clients of the bank yeah. every day. And just by shifting that narrative and bringing employee experience as a lens very strongly helps with a level of prioritization and helps in, in going after uh, some of the things that matter the most to our customers uh, if, if we are to, to, to compete on the basis uh, of that experience. And there are various aspects to it. You know, how do you listen to employees, you know, continuous listening? Yeah. Uh, how do you co-create with colleagues? You know, yeah. the big idea in our people's strategy has been this element of co-creating uh, with the colleagues. You know, like many other companies, we launched hybrid working. We announced it end of last year, we launched it early this year. But one of the big challenges with hybrid working is how do we recreate water cooler moments in a hybrid world? And as opposed to having that problem solved in boardrooms in London and Singapore, we actually put it out as an yeah. entrepreneurial challenge. We've got an entrepreneur program where we want all our colleagues to be uh, entrepreneurs. And we, we put it out into the system as an entrepreneur challenge. And we said, look, how to solve what, uh, how to create water cooler moments in a hybrid world. We don't have the answers. Let's come up with answers together. And, you know, there were 76 ideas that got pitched. You know, we had the top 10 that a few of us listened to. We picked up two. We are giving them some seed funding and we are saying, go develop it and run with it. And that does two things. One is it really helps build a culture of innovation, right? Innovation is yeah. not just the domain of product managers in consumer banking or colleagues who sit in brand and marketing. Everyone can innovate. Everyone is an entrepreneur in our system. And it's quite interesting that the two top ideas have come from parts of the bank who would not have had traditionally an opportunity to lean in uh, and, and, and solve some of these challenges. So I think if you look at, uh, you know, if you deploy a very strong employee experience lens uh, uh, in service of this idea that in HR we are product managers and employment is our product, you co-create with customers very differently and you think around use of data technology very, very differently. So, so I think for mm -hmm. us, that's been a big, big part of uh, our, our thinking.
And I think also when you take an employee experience lens, it gives a validity to co-creation that if it's a process redesign by a center of expertise, that prohibits other people from feeling that they have a view. We were talking uh, to a client recently and they're saying, oh, you know, we want people to get involved, but, you know, the, the recruitment team have come along with um, their suggestions to improve how they recruit and hire people. And But actually, if it remains the preserve of that centre of expertise, which, let's face it, we know we have accepted wisdom that's quite hard to break out of. But if you set the challenge of how do you make people feel differently, then actually everyone can have a view on that. And I think it, it leads to much more exciting, creative co-creation than, than just the center of expertise coming up with the, with the next thing. An example, uh, Lucy, to bring it to life. So today in the EX Council, one of the things we looked at is uh, a developer, uh, you know, a developer in our technology team. What is the employee journey of a developer? And uh, you know, if you look at the end-to-end -end employee journey, a developer in terms of organizational hierarchy is not very senior, uh, you know, but a developer is really core to our strategy uh, around yeah. uh, the future of this business. Uh, and uh, we've done, the team has done the EX team. I've got an employee experience team that sits in HR, but pulls in cross-functional expertise, including uh, uh, expertise from the, the CX team, so you know the, the the customer teams that sit within consumer banking, um, and and what they've done is they've looked at an end-to-end -end employee journey of a developer from the time we they they come to us, uh, you know, apply for a job in our job portal to their onboarding to you know the day in the life of a developer, and actually mapped out all the irritants in that employee journey and said. How, what do we need to do to tackle them? Yeah. And again, it's a very, very different lens. So, you know, you're not leading from a policy or an approach. You are leading from an experience of a, a, a colleague in the company from the time they approach the company and, you know, their day-to-day yeah. their, their -day working life. And as you say, That's just as you would map out a CX, you know, customer experience approach, and it's exactly the same. Um, I'm, I'm conscious of time, and I just wanted just to touch on one element that we haven't discussed yet, which is HR doing all these amazing things, working, you know, cross-functional, uh, co-creation, agile. But what about your people leaders? Because obviously for things to change, we know that the people leaders also have to change. So how, how have you approached that? Is there one or two things that you can share with us that you've done with to kind of make sure that there is a focus on people leadership, that you're developing them effectively, anything that you're doing differently in that space? Yeah, it's an area of sort of huge passion for me, Lucy, because as I sort of reflect back on my many, many years in HR, I do believe that traditional leadership development has been a, a multi-billion dollar industry with very limited return on investment. And, you know, I've done it all, right? You know, I've designed a leadership development program. I've sent people to business schools in UK and the US. I've had leadership development gurus partnered with them to do it. But the, the epiphany I had, I, I, actually it's a debate we had uh, pre-COVID and in some ways it got amplified during COVID, was this idea of, uh, you know, you work in leadership roles for years and years till you become, you know, I was gonna say in managerial roles for years and years till one day, in our system, you become a managing director and you become a leader. And from that moment onwards, the system starts pumping investment into leadership development. And the epiphany I had was, it's just too late. In, in yeah. many, many cases, it's just too late. 
And as a result, there's almost this narrative that had been developed. And I think it's there in most large big companies. The narrative is that we've got the right leaders at the top, but then we've got a frozen middle, a permafrost where everything collapses. And we spent some time looking at data from our surveys, focus groups, uh, you know, our EX team did some research and we said, let's just reverse the, the logic. And let's just say there are 14,000 managers is what we used to call them because, you know, you've got to wait your time till you become a leader. Yeah. Uh, is an area of untapped opportunity for us, that there is no way that we can deliver on our cultural aspiration without tapping the full potential. You know, this is not a constraint, this is an opportunity. And by just starting off by shifting the logic, it, it really changed the conversation in the companies. The first thing we did is, which is symbolic, but it was a big shift. We call everyone a people leader. So, you know, when there is an important announcement that goes out, a cascade or communication, I do a people leader call for uh, with various members of the management team and the board, chief executive, with all 14,000 people leaders, right? You know, if you are sitting in a, a, a contact center in Tianjin, in China, managing a team of 20 people, you are a people leader, yeah. like if you are a senior managing director in London or Hong Kong. And arguably, potentially more in directly influential. Absolutely. And actually, just by shifting that narrative, you know, by focusing on sort of skill building around sort of 14,000 people, uh, the narrative in the company started changing. We then had to be really innovative. And that's when, you know, some of the leadership development work we've done in the last 18 months to two years has been some of the most innovative work that I've seen. Because for 14,000 people leaders, you don't have the luxury of getting them into two-week no. MBA programs or leadership development programs. So we've experimented with loads of things. You know, we've experimented with the idea of behavioral nudges. So, yeah. you know, how do you deploy behavioral nudges uh, um, and not just around the employee life cycle, but around the key decisions that business have to take? We did a very successful experiment called leadership health. You know, leadership health is the same as physical health. You know, you need oh, to build nice them idea. up. And, uh, and it, the idea came from somebody in the bank. Uh, you know, we backed it, yeah, uh, uh, and and it was originally offered to two and a half thousand people. We've taken it much, much broader now. So the idea of leadership health is you subscribe to leadership health experiment every day. You get one nudge. You do that nudge. I love it. Back. Uh, we got communities of practice together, and again, what happened was the more we started leaning into that group, the more they started responding because. Uh, you know, what we found was that if you were a first time leader in Asia, in Africa, late 20s, early 30s, you were lapping this up, yeah. right? So the feedback we had to the leadership health experience, the work we are doing around behavioral nudges. So we have uh, designed behavioral nudges around cultural shadows we feel we have in our business, all in service of our innovative, inclusive culture. So we have a cult culture of fear. You know, we could be very hierarchical, uh, you know. And we design behavioral nudges and deploying of those behavioral nudges uh, in service of our people leaders. So, so the, the moment you think about how do I democratize leadership development at all levels in the company, it leads to some really cool initiatives and ideas. And I must say, as an HR professional, head of HR, the return on investment has been phenomenal, how people yeah. have responded to it. Uh, you know, how people have built these little communities of practice where they are learning from each other. Um, and, and I think that's a vital one. I was chatting to a client earlier and, the, and one of their guys does something called Manager Club, 
which I just love. And it's so simple. It's a half hour session where managers come together, share experiences, what they're doing about talent, how they're managing this issue about hybrid working, and they just share. And HR facilitates, but it's them learning from each other. It's so simple. And yet we kind of, I don't know why we lack confidence about this stuff sometimes. We kind of feel that we've got to give them content. We've got to give them structure. It's got to be a two-day training program. And I think you're right, you know, actually get them whilst they, you know, I, I think sometimes we come up with these amazing competencies and, but we never ask ourselves the question, why would this leader want to change? They've been doing it this way for 20, 30 years. They've done really well. Why would they want to change? Whereas what you're doing is you're targeting that group in that early stage where they do want to change because they've just been given this opportunity and they're excited about it. But we normally avoid that, don't we? Because there's too many of them. It's too expensive and we can't put them on training programs. But what you're saying actually is the minute you think about it as that being the priority, that drives the innovation. And, you know, it's just... end with where we sort of started is actually helps build a culture of innovation because actually what you're doing is fundamentally uh, changing the contract we have with employees, moving away from a parent-child to an adult-adult relationship. So I do people leader calls very similar to these to the manager club where I am not the group head of HR. I'm actually a people leader who comes in in the spirit of learning from the team and I facilitate it but we get leaders from all levels to talk about topics, get on panel discussions. And the moment you become a participant and a learner, uh, the conversation just changes. It becomes an adult-adult conversation where we're all learning from each other in service of yeah. culturally transforming this bank to become an inclusive and an innovative business. Anoj, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. And um, I could talk to you for hours. That has been absolutely fantastic. Fascinating. Keep going. Keep fighting the fight. You're doing some amazing work. And it's an absolute pleasure to have interviewed for this podcast. So um, thank you for doing it. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more resources to help you change HR, check out the Disruptive HR Club at www disruptivehr.club